First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Christians suffering. You know, this is not my favorite topic. <laughs> I've tended to preach on it a lot. It seems like in uh, 2015, it's just been a lot of text. But in this section, he really speaks to it. Matter of fact, I believe in the epistle of Peter, 21 times the word suffering occurs. It's a constant theme of the persecuted church. And if you want to go back and catch up online, you can hear this whole series and you'll hear a lot of the, the structure of what was happening that day under Nero and what was happening. But I want to go back. It's not on your outline, but I just want to touch on it. Last week, you remember I was preaching and I said, one of the fun things about preaching a book like this exegetically instead of just topical series, you finish and you go, you know what? I'll just come back next week and I'll pick up that little section and we'll go forward. Because some of you thought I was going to skip it. But here it is, verses 10 and 11. We're going to main text 12 through 19, but we want to go back to verse 10 and 11. So look there with me. He says, And God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all your strength and energy that God supplies. And then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So Peter, basically, this one of the sections, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, here in 1 Peter 4, he talks about spiritual gifts. And this is, I've done series on that. That's not the intention of this. I just wanted to say the whole theme is there, Peter says, you've been given a gift. Now I want you to respond to God with the gift. And I would expand that. I'd go with the gifts. I believe God gives you a gift mix in Christ. You have spiritual gifts, plural. And you have some dominant gifts, and that's a whole fun study in itself. But in those gifts, God says, use them for the glory of Christ. Now, your gift, if you look at the people around you, their gift is different from you. Some of you have same gifts, similar gifts. We have different gifts, but we have one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one commonality, but many gifts. How many of you are thankful that we all have different gifts? Well, I am. I mean, if you all had a preaching, teaching gift, wow, that'd be a fun church. And if everybody had a hospitality gift, we would be a big church. I'm talking about obese church. And, and if everybody had the gift of this or that, then we would be heavy in that area, and then we wouldn't, we'd be like, we have a lot of ears at Christ community. We have a lot of noses, have a lot of eyes. We don't have any feet. We don't have any hands. So he just talks there about gifts are noticeable. Some are more noticed. They're, we call them platform gifts. Some are, are, are more obvious than others, but all are so needed. Everybody's so important. I, I promise you, the, the Bible talks about the manifold gifts in one translation. That means very many colored. So we all have all these different gifts to ultimately to shine, to bring glory to Christ. And I just want to say this to you. No gift is too small. No gift is too big. All gifts are gifts given by the Lord to steward for his glory and for his honor that Christ gets exalted in the church of Jesus Christ. So you got gifts. And man, I love all the different gifts around here. And Lord, just increase those. You know, we're coming to the end of a season with a lot of our military families, and they'll move and they'll transition. This is a hard time of year for me. Don, I'll tell you. And then over this summer, new families will come in. So we'll deploy gifts and we'll employ new gifts and, and it's just God. So here, I just want to say this real quick from John Maxwell liked it. Everybody has a gift. Ah, duh. Spiritual gifts are intended to serve people, not for your reputation. So if you're using your gift for your reputation, you've missed the glory of Christ. Third, we all have gifts to steward, not to own. 
I was reading this morning in my own personal devotions that everything is the Lord's, so even these gifts are his. God is the source and sustainer of every gift. How many believe that this morning? Yeah, he, he, he resources, though. They, they come from him, and he sustains it. And then we ultimately deploy those that we serve Christ and not man. But man gets the benefit as we serve the Lord, and that's what happens. But anyway, I just wanted to move in there and let you know. I told you last week I'd come back. All right, verse 12 through 19. Look down there. Here it is, suffering, the therm, uh, the, the therm, the Huge term here today, Christian suffering. If you walk out here today, what are you talking about? Well, he touched on gifts, but then he started talking about suffering, and it was painful. <laughs> How many can say, just say this with me, suffering is painful. Say it with me. Suffering is painful. And let's add the word enjoyable. No, let's don't add that one. It can be. You, you remember when Paul says that we might know Christ in the power of his resurrection? And what's that next part of the verse say? And we might know the fellowship of his suffering. That verse, it, it goes together. It's in tandem. It, it works. So this morning, yes, I'm about resurrection. Resurrection is where I live. That resurrection is my heart. Resurrection is our eternal hope. But suffering is part of the will of God. I mean, Jesus knows about it. And we'll, we'll look at a couple of verses there in a minute. So uh, I went back to an old writer, Philip Yancey. You know, where, where's God when he hurts, when you, when you hurt, and on and on. And he had some really profound things to say. He's really a deep theologian. But, but I love this. It's like people all the time are asking, why do good people suffer? Why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? It's interesting, Jeff had this video, and it even talked about Katrina and terrorism and, and some different things. And you're like, well, why, do, why does uh, uh, really horrible things happen to good people? And, and we'll try to answer some of that some way, some way this morning. But... Somebody once said this, and, and, and when I was going back over Yancey's book, he goes, God made a good world, and, and somebody said, but there's one mistake in it. It's pain. It's not a mistake. It, it seems like from our perspective that pain, God, somehow something happened. Well, it's called sin. <laughs> it's called the garden, okay? And pain is not a mistake because if you lift weights, there's an expression we learned when I was in junior high school. See if you can complete it. No pain. You heard that before, have you? You know, and, and when you're tearing your muscles down to build them back up, you have to, it hurts. And you go home sometimes like, man, my legs are killing me, my arms, my shoulders, man, my glutes, you know, man, you know, my hamstrings, man, I've done so much. And, like, and if you don't have pain, if you're just kind of like tiptoeing through the, garden you know <laughs> there ain't a lot happening you know some I, I go i do the elliptical about three times a week and sometimes i look over there and i'm not lying there are some people that get on there and sometimes they move about this fast and they're checking their email the whole time but the worst was one day years ago don and i were in another ymca and we walked in and i promise you the guy he was noah's brother and I, I made that up. Guy's old as dirt. And he walks in the gym like this right here. But, oh, it gets funnier. He's got the biggest three musketeers hanging out of his pocket. I love those. And he did this. And then he got over to the bicycle, and he got on it. The bro almost fell off. He was going so slow. And when he got off about an hour later, he pulls it out and starts eating that candy bar. I mean, I just had to give it up for the man. I mean, it was awesome. It inspired me 
So every time I work out, I have a musketeers afterwards. It, it, it does amazing things for your body. Look, no, no, I'm teasing. I don't do that. I want to do that. But anyway, pain and suffering. God made a good world, but he didn't make a mistake. Um, do you remember the Sandy Hook situation where the kids were killed? Horrible situation. Philip Yancey was invited to go and to speak to that school to try to bring comfort to parents, to pro- try to bring uh, comfort, a word of hope to a community that was devastated. And, uh, you know, there were, what, 26 people gunned down, 20 children, six adults, just horrific. And there's a whole line of atheists. See if you've ever heard these names. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris. They're New York best-selling authors on atheism and right from an atheistic standpoint. You know what I find amazing? Nobody contacted them to come in and bring comfort to people that were devastated in these situations. Listen to this. It's just because, like, where's God when it hurts? I mean, can you imagine if they got there? And here would be their talk. Well, the universe is random. Bad things happen. Get used to it. Your children don't live anymore. This is just what happens. Thank you. Have a good day. I mean, like, I'd shoot him. I'm, I'm, that's a bad, yeah, I mean, that's horrible. See, when you don't have God, when you don't have a God to lean your ladder on, see, a long time ago, I figured it was cool to lean your ladder on God. I decided that God was my big crutch, and if somebody says, you've just got a big crutch, I go, I know, his name is God, and I, and I am needy, and I am broken, and I limp without him, and he is into brokenness. Amen? So that's the, that's the heart of the Father. So, you know, you, you think about this thing about suffering and, and pain and did God really mess up? But look here, four, chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. In the message, Eugene Peterson says, don't jump to conclusions. Don't think it's strange, it's odd. It's going to happen. I mean, suffering happens to all of us. None of us are exempt from suffering. I mean, we think when we come to Jesus that we should be exempt. Well, that's not gospel. That's not what Jesus knows. And so we, we think it would be, you know, better if we didn't suffer. But Jesus knows that if we suffer, we lean into him, these fiery trials. And when he says these fiery trials, part of this was, remember the culture around 64 AD, uh, the emperor there was Nero. And remember what I told you when I first started the series? What did Nero do with Christians? He burned them at the stake. He used them as torches to illuminate his gardens for his parties. He didn't like the city, and he needed a scapegoat. And he goes, well, Christians aren't very well liked, so let's just burn Christians. In, in this book that we find ourselves, Peter, it is a book of intense suffering and intense persecution. And that's where he finds himself, and it, and it burns. And, and for history tells us, that it, the city burned for nine consecutive weeks. And people would try to put it out, and he'd start more fires, and he would blame the believers on it. And it was just a, a horrendous situation. And it was a, a, a really fiery trial. And I just think about, to be applicable to us, we have trials that we're going through. Some of them seem insurmountable, that you're, you're not going to make it over. You just feel like you're trapped in your trial. I know, I, I've been there. Uh, I, I'll be there again. I, I go back and I still remember 9-11, and you remember Flight 93 and the, 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 the cell phone call that, uh, transpired between the wife and her husband. And wait a minute, we're good people. We have good jobs. This doesn't happen to us, and it did. The, the truth is, you could be good people 
You could be righteous people in Jesus. That's the best. And bad things are still going to happen to you. And the church said, amen. So be it, Lord Jesus, because you know best. I hate it when I go through trials. I, I hate when my friends go through trials. I don't like to see anybody suffer, especially when I hear the C word, cancer, and I watch it ravage their body. I've, I've pastored this church since the beginning, and I've seen bulk, strong men be reduced to nothing. And precious Jessica, in this year, is that young 30-year-old gave up her life, but she reigns, and she's victorious this morning with Jesus in heaven. Amen? That's hope. And so there's fiery trials here, and he just says, hey, dude, there's going to be trials in your day. And then I want to give you just a, a theological word. That's what theologians do. I want you to write down this word. It's spelled T-H-E-O, Theo, that's God, D-I-C-Y, theodicy. And in this word, it means that we, we struggle, philosophers, theologians struggle with this, about the defense of God's goodness and his omnipotence. Against the view of the existence of evil, try to explain away evil. Try to do this. Hey, it, it's just a God thing. It's the way God's created us. It's the way God's allowed his world to work out. But God is in the pain. How many of you are glad this morning God's in the pain when you're in the pain? Do you turn to him in the pain? See, that's the thing. You, you could just go, Father, I, I blame you. This is, this is wrong. And in my flesh, I go, yeah, it, it seems pretty bad. But God's perspective is so much higher than yours and mine. The Bible says God's ways are higher than our ways. And, Lord, we're grateful. And George Barna, the great guy that does all the stats and all the books, and in a survey, he said this. He said, if you could ask God one question, you knew that he would give you an answer. What would the question be? And he said, in this survey, an overwhelming response was this question. Why would you allow so much evil, suffering, and pain on the earth? People your pastor, you, we struggle with that every day. I know God's word. I know Christ. Hopefully you know Christ. And you still struggle with this. It, it, it's hard. And it, it, sometimes you don't have all the answers, but we do believe there's a standard. And we believe there's a standard of perfection. We believe there's a holy God. And we believe that he's an omnipotent, omniscient. We believe that God is sovereign and our God rules the universe. And I believe this morning God has not lost one bit of his hold on the planet and on my life and your life. Do you believe that today? God is in charge. C.S. Lewis I quote him a lot. He's so bright. I love, I love his mind. I, listen to this. He said, why do the righteous suffer? And listen to his answer. You've got to write this down. C.S. Lewis says, why do the righteous suffer? He said, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Huh. That's giving great credit to the God in us. Why do we suffer? Why are you and me not exempt from suffering? We'll find here in Peter, he says, some of this is for the will of God. Now, listen, listen, listen. Some of you, for stupidity's sake, can I just say that? You bring it on yourself. Boy, I got that T-shirt. Y'all want to see it this morning? It's amazing. <laughs> Take off my shirt, have S, and it says stupid. Okay, I got that T-shirt, okay? And you do too. But sometimes we don't bring it on ourselves and it just happens maybe it's other people it's our situation our circumstances but god says you can take it now i want to give you something here at the very top you're going to find it i'm going to finally get you to fill out a blank you're like when's he ever going to do this outline right in the first blank silence is far greater than a lot of talk and some of you're like well, why didn't you open with that that would have been wonderful because i'm a preacher i'm verbose i have many words that i'm reducing 
Um, and, 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 and this, I want you to see what Job says. Because sometimes silence is all we need to reflect, to meditate, to contemplate our God and his greatness and his authority and his control. And we don't say a word. Look at Job, it's uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and it'll come on the screen. And then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw his pain was very great. What were his friends doing? Were they being chatty? What do we do when people are in pain? We try to talk them out of it. <laughs> we talk them to death. Sometimes we just have to be quiet. You're going through a death. The greatest thing you can do is just bring your ministry of presence and hold people and give them food and pray for them and not quote to them Romans 8, 28 when they're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, you know, brother, all things work together for good. It does. It's truth. But it might not be their favorite text at that time, okay? And you just say, I have to be silent. Listen to this other one here, 13, 5. Oh, that you would be completely silent and that it would become your wisdom. I mean, so sometimes it's okay just to go, you know, I just want you to know I care. And I'm going to sit with you. Would it be okay if I sit? Would it be okay if I just listen? If you need something, I'll be there. You've been there, haven't you? If you've ever dealt with death, you understand that. And if you haven't, you will. I'm trying to prepare you. That's my job is to prepare you to meet Jesus, to prepare you to be the body of Christ. So seven statements on suffering here today. I think they'll help. Suffering in itself does not lead to deeper relationship with God or to him. See, just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're deep in Jesus. doesn't mean you're a strong, overcoming Christian. It could just be, you know, you're not really drawn into God. You're not really learning a lot. And so I would say in that situation, just write out beside your notes, Father, give me a tender heart to you. In my suffering, give me a tenderness of heart that I will be pliable for your purposes and for you to speak into my heart and I'll have ears to hear and eyes to see the kingdom. Lord, help me to do that. I'll tell you this story quickly. In our first home that we had, Don and I bought it about six months after we got married, lived there a few years. I was finishing undergrad school, that kind of thing. And we had uh, five years in our marriage, we had this beautiful little girl, Rachel. But before we had her, we had a little girl next door, her name was Amanda. And Amanda was blind-headed like the two girls that I had. And Amanda would come to the fence, hey, Mr. Keith, and I would pick her up and we would talk. Or I'd go over to her house. She was so sweet. She'd come over, hey, Miss Donna. Well, about seven years later, we moved, and she used to, you know, watch the kids a little bit. Her kids, we only had one there. And uh, several years later, she met it in middle school, and then she made it to high school. And she got to high school, and I vaguely had kept up with her. We'd moved, and you know how life happens. And uh, she got real sick. And she needed a heart transplant. And she got a heart transplant. And, uh, and uh, she overcame that. She finished high school. She went off to college. She became a nurse. And guess what she did? She became a nurse at UAB right in the middle of cardiovascular with the world-renowned heart surgeons of the world. And they all loved her deeply. And she was on medications, and she was this vivacious girl. And she came to our church at AUM. So God reconnected us at AUM. And then I got the call one day. Amanda's heart, the medications, her heart was rejecting now. And she died. 
She was 25 years old. I did her funeral. And I still remember that little girl suffering. But Donna can tell you right now, when I look in my mind's eye, I see this beautiful little kid that became a 25-year-old woman that lived her life for the fullness of life in Christ that she could, and she only had 25 years. Why don't I tell you that story? Because when I was studying, I just, I just, I just had this thought about my little friend Amanda. Didn't have long, you know? Somebody says, oh, they had five years to live. They had 55. They had 95. All I know is we have the number of days that God ordains for us to live, and we better live them for the glory of Christ, whether we suffer or we don't. And the church said, amen. I can't even see my pad here. I'm crying here. Okay, there you go. Thank you, Amanda. All right, let's move through this. So the apex of the faithfulness of God, verse 13, look here. He goes, instead, be very glad. Now, that sounds strange. One translation says, rejoice. Yeah, oh, that's what I want to do when I suffer. That's always my first thought. For these trials, they make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. But rejoice, partake in the suffering with Christ at head of your life, as leader, him carrying you. So you suffer atrocities of life. You, some reason we think we should expect better treatment than, than Jesus. Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross. Jesus suffered and died for us. We know the gospel. So suffering is just part of this side of glory. And I can't stand to suffer. I can't stand to watch you suffer, but I want to see you suffer for the glory of Christ. Though. I want to see Christ be exalted. I want to see him become more. In fact, here, when you take on suffering, Somebody said, you want to take suffering, you want it to be a house. And in that house, you want suffering to be in the basement with the rest of your junk. <laughs> and you don't want it to come out. You want to keep it hid. And God's saying today, I want you to bring your suffering up to the living room. And suffering might be part of your life. And I'm not trying to just celebrate this. But then he goes on, and look what he says here. And then he, then he calls them Christians. In verse 14, so be happy when you're insulted for being a Christian. The word Christian is only used three times in the scripture. The word Christian was a derogatory term in those days. See, Caesar wanted people to worship him, not Jesus. And so he was all into himself in their casernados. They were followers of Caesar. The Bible says they were people of the way that would be Christians. They were brethren. They, they were sisters. They were believers in the gospel of grace. That's what Christ calls us to be. And, and yet, so we use this word Christian and Christanos in, in one thing that I read. And so it, it, it wasn't something they wanted to embrace. Of course, if you've been around me longer than a week, you know I love the word Christ follower because in Montgomery, Alabama, where we live in the Bible Belt, the word Christian just means I don't know what it means to some people. You say Christian, you go, well, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not dead. Well, okay, fine. I'm Christian. I'm not Jehovah's Witness. Well, okay. But Christian, when I say follower of Christ, Christ follower, I mean Jesus is Lord and you follow after the Master. Do you want to go on that journey, church? A Christ follower. It's a beautiful term. Christian's a great term if you use it in the sense of, of the Scripture. Look here. So, second point, suffering helps us develop humility. In Psalm 119.67, the psalmist just goes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. They suffered. I don't know for what. And we suffer 
But then God says, return. Return back to me. Be afflicted for my word, and it'll be okay. I'll, I'll grow you. Humble yourself. I mean, God is so into this humbling ourselves because when we humble ourselves, it, it purifies us for the purposes of the Father. So, Lord, I, I, this humility, you're inviting me. Also, in humility, I would just write out the other side there. And humility says, Father, I need help. I need help. God, I'm not going to make it. God, I'm not going to finish this very well. I might not even finish, period. And if I finish, it's going to be horrible. Father, would you help me? Lord, would you help me teach some more? I ask him that all the time. God, would you help me preach your word? And you teachers, do, I got teachers in the house. Do you teachers ever ask God for help? Amen. Yeah. Hey, how about you people that are in sales? Do y'all ever ask God, God, would you please help me? I need something here. My family's starving, God. Come on, help me. How about you mamas? I bet you mamas never have a desperation prayer of, God, help me. Sure you do. You got kids, and they're rolling off the toilet tissue, and, ah, and, and the other one's putting the toy in the toilet and trying to flush, and, and that one of them was your phone, and all the crazy stuff. I mean, it's pandemonium. You know, see, Don and I, I just want to tell you all that I haven't had kids yet. Don and I had this really cool plan, and the father honored it. And, and, and my kids really love each other, but everybody used to come at us, and they'd be so spiritual. they go, your girls are five years apart. They're not going to be very close. I think they're probably best friends. But see, Don and I did it because uh, we wanted to put them through university, and I didn't want them both there at the same time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but here's, here's what I'm learning. My grandkids, they're, they're, they're a little over two in a few months. So I'm watching my daughter now. And, man, it takes her and Jeremy, it takes an army to raise kids. You know what I mean? Man, they're just, you know. And you just wait the little man gets. I, and I watch y'all at church. Y'all walk in so sweet. When the Davis is walking, all four of them, I just sit over and laugh and go, glory, glory. It's fun. And one time we had somebody who showed up here and they had 10 kids. And I left. I said, we're not doing the Duggar show. I mean, I don't know what this is, man. Now, I, I like the Duggars. I think they're cool. But 19, oh, well, let me get off the market. Okay, anyway, it's just... Maybe that was God's will. Okay, here we go. So keep them, keep them dependent, Lord. Listen to what Scripture says. Concerning this, I prayed three times. I pleaded that the Lord would take it away three times until the Lord answered me. Do you remember when he said, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. How many believe that this morning? The grace of Jesus is all you and I need for our life and for our suffering, whatever we're going through. And like, Lord, I trust you in this. And I'm, God, when I humble myself and I admit I need help, your power kicks in. The Holy Spirit's power kicks in when we ask him to fill us. When those spiritual gifts get deployed in our life when we ask him to fill and, and to resonate and to overflow from our lives. It's a beautiful thing, developing humility. You know, that suffering, not all suffering results in a blessing. Some does. Some doesn't. It's just, it's tough. Let, let, let's keep moving here. So, the glorious spirit of God rests upon you, 15. If you suffer, however, you must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying into other people's affairs. One translation says being a busybody. If you suffer for that, shame on you. I mean, it's your fault. But look, verse 16. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. If you're called a Christ follower today, Jesus says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, thy Christian. I love you, man. That, that is where we want to be here. So God says it's, it's okay to suffer for being a Christian. Matter of fact, I think it's blessed, and my church gets purified when you suffer. Do you think the church gets purified when people suffer? I do. Because, man, pride has to go when purity comes. And I want more purity. I got the pride thing. A lot of you do, too, I know. And it just doesn't bring glory to Jesus. 
Howard Hendricks said, there's no fear of judgment from the man who judges himself according to the word of God. So God, help us to be people of this book that we find strength and comfort here and we judge ourselves according to thy word that we might not sin against you. Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin. I need to run to this book more and so do you. And I don't just need to run to it. I need to hide it in my heart. And then, I need to say, and then I need to pray it back to him. And then ultimately I need to practice it. You know God's looking for practitioners of Christianity this morning. Not hearers, but doers of the word. God, help us to be doers of you. It's a narrow road to follow after Christ. Jesus says broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. And this narrow road involves suffering. I, I just got to keep taking this back there. God purifying the church, making sense. Look at, look at here, third, suffering helps us develop perseverance. When you go through a hard time, it helps you to endure in the strength of Christ. And blessed is the man that endures, for when he has tried, he should receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. So God, help us to do that. The fourth one, God proves it, the genuine nature of our faith through suffering. So you could have a, a pretense, you could, have a, you could be a poser when it comes to your faith, but when you suffer and you endure and you persevere, then the, the sincere without wax, the genuine faith comes forth. Abraham had prayed for a son, he got a son, and God caused him to offer up Isaac, his only son. But you know the story, there's a ram caught in a thicket, and God said, ho, ho, stop, no. And God had provided a sacrifice. But God was just wanting to test his heart and see. Look at the fifth. Suffering reveals what we really love. I don't know what you love this morning, but there's two scriptures I want to give you today. One's from Luke 14, 26, and it's going to come on the screen because it will reveal a lot about us. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I should unpack that in a full sense one day. He doesn't mean I want you to walk out here going, I told you, Mom, I hated you. Pastor quoted it today. You're out of, you're out of text, okay? That's out of context. But compared to the Lord Jesus, you don't put family above Jesus. You always put Jesus above everything. And the church said, amen. I know a lot of people that worship family. And there's nobody I would take on that loves your family more than Don and I love our kids. We love our kids. But if they become an idol, then I've got a problem and you've got a problem. Somebody needed to hear that today. Somebody just got mad at me and said, nope, I ain't listening to you no more. You just told I just want you to go back Luke 14, 26. Look at the next one, John 12, 25. He who loves his own life but loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So if you're really a follower of Christ, you lose your life for the master. I have no life. My life's been bought with a price, the high price of the blood of Christ. So is yours. If you're in Jesus, man, you don't belong to you. You don't own anything. You don't belong to you. You belong to Christ. Man, that God, I need that. So it reveals who I am. And six, suffering equips us for ministry. You have stronger ministry when you suffer because you have deep compassion and passion to go forward i like what second corinthians 1 4 write it down god comforts us in all afflictions so that we may be able to, to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves have been comforted by god the key word in that text is comfort comfort comes from the father and when god gives you comfort you can comfort others and as a pastor I still don't understand why I had so much death as a young person in my life. But it has made me a stronger, more effective pastor over the years because 
I've had people tell me, you didn't read this in a book. You didn't study this in seminary. I know what it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and to face death over and over without Christ and with Christ. And let me, let me tell you, it's a lot better with Christ. Amen? But the comfort that my Jesus gives me, I can give to others because he comforts my heart. The same comfort you give to other people because Christ comforts you. You will be afflicted, church. You will suffer, church. But draw from the well of grace. Draw from what Christ has the sustaining grace. And seventh, look there, suffering is a battleground. It prepares us for more glory. I just believe this life practicing thing that we do, it's a battleground. Life is hard. Life is tough. And, uh, and, 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 it, and, and you battle every day. You battle the flesh. You battle the enemy. You, I mean, it, it's just hard. And the scripture says, you know, there's a battle. And there's a battle for your soul. And Job says, and, and, and I will, you know, one that says, I'm going to curse God. And the other one says, but I'm going to praise God. So you got two choices. You can curse God in your suffering, and you're going to be miserable, and your light's going to go out. Or you can praise Almighty God in the storm and overcome and be victorious and magnify the name of Jesus, and Christ is exalted through your suffering. You have a choice. What's your choice? Well, and here on Sunday morning, man, when Jeff Bush gets up and leads us in a worship, I'm going to praise him. Tuesday afternoon, when ain't nobody around, he gets tough, I'm going to curse him. I know. Schizophrenic. <laughs> praise him. Praise him, God. The battleground. You know, it's like, uh, listen to uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all of comparison as we look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are temporary. Eternal. Not temporary. It's eternal. I just want to see if y'all are awake with me yet. God. You've not lost control according to the will of God. Here he goes, no shame for being a Christian. 17, for the time has come for judgment. It begins where? In God's house, in God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And the righteous are barely saved. That it will happen to the God, what will happen to the godless sinners? Woo! First in line, man, is the house of faith. We get judged, but it's okay. He's with us. Verse 19. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep doing what is right, says the Scripture, and trust your lives, and trust your lives to God who created you, and he will never fail you. That's the God that I've come to boast in this morning. That's the God that says, I am with you. That's the God that says suffering is multifaceted. That's the God that says suffering, suffering will result in praise to my name. And then I want to give you this. There's three quotes here that are going to come on the screen. The team's going to come forward. Philip Yancey, I want you to see this. As we rely on God and trust his spirit to mold us in his image, true hope takes shape within us. A hope that does not disappoint. We can literally become better persons because of suffering. Pain, however, meaningless it may seem at the time, can be transformed. Where is God when it hurts? He is in us, not in the things that hurt, helping to transform bad into good. We can safely say that God can bring good out of evil. We cannot say that God brings about the evil in hopes of producing good. And the church said, those are, those are, that's a strong statement. I want you to look at the second one here. 
I have mentioned that no one offers the name of a philosopher when I ask the question, who helped you most? Most often they answer by describing a quite unassuming person. Someone who has been there wherever needed, who listened, there it is, silence, more than talked, who didn't keep glancing down in the watch, or who hugged and touched and cried. In short, someone who's available and came on sufferer's terms and not their own. I'm just trying to drive these truths to our hearts. I need it in my heart. And the last one is this. The surgery of life hurts. Or you could just say, the suffering of this life hurts. And it helps me, though, to know that the surgeon himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the wounded surgeon has felt every stab of your pain and every sorrow. He is the high priest that can identify with you and me this morning. And Jesus knows your pain. And you ought to call upon the God of glory. And you will make it. You will endure. And you will give him praise if you learn to embrace Jesus in the suffering. And the church said, glory to God, he's through with suffering. No. I'm just giving you some scripture admonition and ammunition to get ready. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be in your house this morning. And uh, Lord, it's hard to suffer. I don't want to suffer. It's painful. But Lord, you are divine and you are omnipotent and you're holy and you're above all these things. And you know that the suffering will uh, cause me to lean into you, Jesus. To press into your heart. Help me to trust you even this morning. Lord, this morning I know some people came with heavy, burdened, painful hearts. Minister to them right now, Lord Jesus. Minister to the broken place today. Give us grace for the journey. Give us the desire to call upon Jesus to be our Savior and Lord and to follow him. May we be proud to be called Christian. Because you're our living hope. You're eternal through the ages. Oh my God, give us comfort today from your holy word and through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.